Hello and welcome to this first episode of a close reading series on satire from the London Review of Books. I'm Claire Bucknell and I'm a fellow of All Souls College Oxford and a contributor to the paper and I'm joined here by Colin Burrow, also a fellow of All Souls, who has been writing for the paper since the last century. Thank you very much for reminding me of that fact, Claire. Um, I'm not that old and we're sitting in my room in college with books and you'll be able to hear the delicious sound of those books in the background, I'm sure. Colin, talk me through some of the delights to come in this series. Well, uh, we've got all kinds of things. A rich satura or smorgasbord of delights to come. Uh, we're going to talk about John Donne. We're going to extend through the 18th century with Pope and all kinds of wicked people like Stern. And we're going to talk about Jane Austen and we're going to talk about Muriel Spark. And it's going to be great. Fantastic. I can't wait. There'll be a satirical twinkle in my eye throughout. I hope not. Anyway, the real question that I want to ask you before we get down to talking about Erasmus's Praise of Folly, which we're going to do today, uh, is a very straightforward question, which I'm sure you'll be able to answer, which is what is satire? I'll hand over to you at that point, Claire, and leave the room. Oh, I was really hoping you weren't going to ask me that. Um, Difficult to answer, um, for one thing, because there is more than one etymology at play. The Latin word satura, which Colin just mentioned, um, just means a plate of stuff. So on that reading, satire is a mixture. It's a kind of feast in which kind of anything goes and miscellaneity and surprise is sort of part of the point. So gallimoffrey. Uh, yes, if you will, a gallimoffrey. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you asked a Renaissance scholar or satirist, they might say that satire derived from the word satira or satyr. And these were um, satyrs, so hairy, drunken, unruly creatures who you might find in the woods, um, whose image um, accorded with the sort of bad boy status of the um, angry young men who wrote satire at the end of the 16th century. And we're going to be talking about those in our next episode, aren't we? We are. We're going to come round to Dunn et al. Yeah. So in 1589, uh, George Puttenham, who wrote a lot about rhetoric, he said, the first and most bitter invective against vice and vicious men was the satire, in which they made wise as if the gods of the woods, whom they called satyrs or sylvans, should appear and recite those verses of rebuke, whereas indeed they were but disguised persons under the shape of satyrs. And that's a really important passage, actually, because Putnam, in his Art of English Poesy, puts satire right first. It's the first genre. It's the first thing that people did. They were nasty to each other in verse. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm, yeah. And so then those two etymologies give us the kind of double vision that you have to adopt or keep in mind when you're reading satire. So on the one hand, it is ultra-civilised. It's a, it's a meze. It's a plate of tapas. It's a kind of smorgasbord. But on the other hand, it's this unruly, wild creature out to snarl and snap. And you can't always be sure which you're going to get. Oh, yes. Whether you're going to be fed or bitten. Uh, it's a good combination, though, isn't it? So, but, so, in a way, then, part of the point about satire and our excuse for not being able to define it completely is that, you know, the point is that you don't quite know how to take it. It's something that's slightly ungraspable, that it could be nourishing or it could be savaging or it could be a bit of both. 
Yes, it's a, it's a tricky literary term because it doesn't really denote um, a genre of writing in the way that, say, epic does, in a way that we might feel comfortable with. Um, it's more a mode and it's, it's an attitude, it's a hostile way of, of positioning yourself in relation to your target. But it is sort of a genre in the verse form, isn't it? I mean, Horace and Juvenal are creating a Roman genre, so it's a genre and a mode in a rather confusing Again, mixed way. Yes, that's right. There's a, there's a rich heritage of verse satire and we will be coming back to that throughout our course and we'll probably keep mentioning these names, Horace and Juvenal and Perseus and their offshoots in English. Um, but then the word satire also covers prose satires, such as The Praise of Folly by Erasmus that we're going to talk about today or, more famously, Swift's Gulliver's Travels. And then there's this uh, third category, which is a mixture of prose and verse, um, or that's called a Menippean satire. And they're named after the works of Menippus, who was a Greek satirist. Um, we don't know exactly what they would have looked like because they've been lost, but it's clear that they would have been funny and probably also cruel. Wicked literary history, isn't it? That the best things always get lost. But then, then the great thing about that is that you can imagine what Menippus was like. He was obviously really cool. Much cooler than he probably... Actually, actually was, was. yeah true. exactly yeah, yeah yeah imagined works are sweeter um and then on top of all that you can have a satirical drama we'll or talk a, about volponi oh we will we'll talk about satirical volponi. drama yeah or a satirical epic uh don juan we'll be talking about too won't we um or a satirical magazine such as private eye and satirical novels and satirical just about anything i yeah I, I was given a satirical pair of socks once by my my brother who who thinks that i don't have enough fun so he gave me a pair of socks that have have written on them in bright yellow lettering carpe the fuck out of this dm <laughs> and it's clearly a satirical attack on me but you know so you can have satirical socks <laughs> satirical more or, less, more or less everything so the bottom line is it's probably easier to think of satire as more like an adjective than a noun that's to say it's works can be satirical novels or satirical plays and there is a, a narrower category of satires which are formal verse satires but you know it's it's an adjectival slippery term that can be applied to other literary kinds oh uh, yeah absolutely yes so it's nebulous it's ungraspable and the history of the mode slash genre is full of these sort of boundary cases where you can't really be sure if satire is the right word for what you're reading so uh don quixote for example is it a satire well yes but also no um, Shelley's Mask of Anarchy, um, satire or political rant. Well, it kind of could be either. I, I, I think it's a bit of a political rant myself, but yeah, yeah, it could be either. Fair enough. Um, well, Colin has just stamped on that uncertainty, <laughs> but there is uncertainty there, and that is interesting and it's generative, no matter how much he tries to crush it. And one of the things we will do in this podcast series is 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 watch satire pull the rug out from under our feet and kind of enjoy it doing so. That's all I was trying to do when I said I didn't think Mask of Anarchy was a satire player. I was just trying to pull the rug out. I was being satirical. It's all good. Noted. Mm-hmm. Uh, satire is, as you've seen, it's risky, it's sometimes nasty, it can be dirty, it is often indecorous, it pushes at the limits of what is sayable. And gets censored. And gets censored for it. Yeah. So it draws attention to the boundaries, whether they be literary boundaries or moral and social boundaries, by almost overstepping them. 
and sometimes radically overstepping them, actually. Sometimes radically overstepping yeah, them. Yeah, which is important. And we'll be talking about the political aspect of satire throughout the course, one way or another, I think. Yep. So um, there is a lot there. I mean, and, and often satires are sort of universalizing, aren't they? So that even the satirist is not immune. Is that right? That's right. Um, the satirist often makes a fool of himself as well as of his targets. And speaking of fools, we are going to kick off today by talking about Desiderus Rasmus's Praise of Folly from 1511, which is a satire on most of 16th century life in the voice of personified folly herself. So, Claire, why don't you talk us through the structure of the Praise of Folly, give us a sense of what kind of work it is, uh, and then I'll say a little bit about the context of it and where it comes from in Erasmus's life. Yeah, so the Praise of Folly is a speech, an encomium, um, spoken by Folly herself. She's a persona. And essentially, she's describing the madness of the whole world as Erasmus knew it. And the text kind of works in three parts. Um, first, in the probably the most fun bit, Folly describes the universality of folly among mortals and how needful it is that we are, that we do lapse into folly to survive the human condition. So the happiness that folly brings and the necessary kinds of forgetting that folly enables. Um, so she says, um, is anyone happier than the sort of men who are usually called fools, dolts, simpletons, nincompoops, actually very fine titles as I see it. And she runs through um, various examples of how mortals get by by being fools. So for instance, she says that when women would never go through childbirth again if they didn't forget the first time how awful it was. So their forgetting becomes necessary, quite literally, to the extension of human life. Then there's a second section, which is more programmatic, in which folly runs through um, social groups who all hold um, weighty social responsibilities. So uh, princes, lords, popes, priests. And she so says no that one is spared. Absolutely no one is spared. And the high status people come in for more attacking than low status um, and she says that people like this um, get by by using folly to forget their weighty responsibilities you know wouldn't wouldn't a prince collapse under the weight of his responsibility if he actually thought about it if he actually thought about the kinds of importance he had um if if a pope really behaved like a pope should wouldn't he you know he wouldn't manage to survive either so all of them rely on folly to get by um, it's true about politicians, isn't it? I mean, they have to have that kind of insensitivity to what they are in order to be what they are. Yeah. Yeah, it's all true. Yeah, It is all true. Sorry, carry on. No, no, no. I mean, the the third section is, is possibly the... the well, well, we'll come to it later, but it makes this quite radical claim that Christianity itself... Um, so I should say that in the second section, theologians and men of the church come in for a particular attack. But in the third section, um, Folly says that Christianity and Christ um, is foolish, is a species of folly. But we better have some background before we get into it. Colin, who was Erasmus? Well, at this point, I have to reach for under my desk for a prop, which Claire knows nothing about, but it is actually... Oh, no. Uh, yeah. I've got a little fool's cap with bells, and it's I'm going to. I'll, I'll put it. I'll put it back because otherwise it'll interfere with talking about Erasmus, who was a very serious person. 
Thanks for listening to this extract from On Satire, a close reading series from the London Review of Books. To listen to the full episode and all our other close reading series, sign up to our close reading subscription at lrb.me forward slash close readings or click on the link in the description. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.